Hello, hello, hello. Hello and hello and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people who are known today as the Stockbridge-Munsee community. I'm Sina Bazila Hickey. And I'm your host, H. Vosh Jr. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we begin with a Railroad Workers United member about the railroad labor fight. Then historian Kathy Sheehan tells us about the annual Green Show at the Hart Cluett House. Later on, H. Bosch Jr., yours truly, talks with Tatum Hughes, a nurse with a military background. After that, we catch up with a few artists as they install their work for the Troy Glow. Finally, Oakwood Community Center will join us, how about that, to talk about this weekend's holiday event taking place. But first, here's some rapid headlines. <laughs> the New York Times reports that Inspector General will... The New York Times mm -hmm. reports that the Inspector General's office has documented significant racial and ethnic disparities in decline across New York state prisons, finding that over a six-year period, black inmates were 22% more likely to be disciplined than white ones. This has worsened since the last report in 2015. Construction has begun on the controversial 339-mile underground transmission line that will bring electricity from Quebec's hydroelectric plants to New York City. A judge has struck down Newburgh's local law prohibiting in evictions under certain circumstances. A law similar a similar law in the city of Albany was also struck down over the summer after a group of landlords sued, though it was later reinstated while the city appeals. The judge held that the local law was overruled by state law. Newburgh's law capped rent increases at 5% and laid out terms by which certain landlords would evict tenants. A group of Rensselaer Polynetic, poly, I always tear that word up. RPI Institute students, how about that, okay, who calls themselves nerds against Norlight, have set up a parody Twitter account about the company, the Norlight Hazardous Waste Incinerator in Aggregate Production Facility, along, has long been a source of complaints by local residents and is being sued by the state attorney general. DEC, one of the tweets, said, Products made with Norlite, Norlite are manufactured locally. Health impacts are mostly local, too. Okay. The State Thruway Authority will propose the first widespread toll hikes on EZ Pass holders since 2010 in a meeting next Monday with its board and directors. They are seeking a 5% increase under an agreement with the federal government for more funding. All tolls on the thruway were uh, supposed to end in 1996. Okay. The budget approved by Rensselaer County Legislator on Tuesday contains a 1% tax cut, the fifth tax cut in a row. That's it for the headlines. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad gra grassroots participation. Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how you can contribute, go to mediasanctuary.org, email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org, or call 518-272-2390.
So the railroad workers are fighting for better benefits and working conditions. Just before this show recorded on Thursday evening, the Senate approved a measure meant to avoid the railroad striking in eight days. This measure did not include the paid sick leave that railroad workers have been asking for. So with at least 60 votes needed, senators passed the bill to force unions to accept a tentative agreement reached earlier this year between railroad managers and their workers to make an imminent strike illegal without changes. And it was passed by 80 to 15. The sick leave, however, was rejected with a 52 to 43 vote. Both bills have been cleared by the House on Wednesday. Advocates have been asking for paid sick leave policy to be put in the contract for months. And without this in the deal, some unions are rejecting it, creating the threat of a railroad worker strike as soon as December 9th. And Mark Dunley brought us this interview from before this decision. We're joined uh, by Nick Worse, who's a member of the uh, Railroad Workers United, uh, I believe the uh, TD uh, Local 1473 over in uh, Massachusetts. Honestly, there's been a lot of national news over the, the strike and, and work conditions and the situation with pay. President Biden is you know, pushing Congress to intervene and make it illegal to strike and trying to force them to accept a contract that's not been good. You know, some fight to maybe get Congress to add uh, sick days uh, to the package. But Nick's going to tell us, you know, where do things really stand at the moment? And, you know, what do the American people need to understand and support? I think a good place to start just really quickly is what it's like to be a railroad worker. Um, and it's not good. <laughs> uh, it certainly maybe used to be better. But for, for railroad workers now, uh, it means long hours, uh, you know, some of the shortest being 12-hour shifts. Being away from home, family, being on call uh, 24-7, 365, you know, working six, sometimes seven days straight um, and not knowing when when you're when you're going to work. Uh, it means physical work in, in all weather conditions and everything like that. And recently, you know, it's and meant- railroad work is one of the most dangerous jobs to begin yeah. with, besides long hours. Uh, you know, we stand a good chance of getting hurt on the job, but then you, you factor in long hours, understaffing, you know, exhaustion, exposure to, you know, who knows what in, uh, in our various kinds of work. Um, there's a lot of health risks and, and, and everything like that. Um, but this is also, you know, I think part of the reason why we feel so strongly right now is that it's been three years uh, since our last pay increase, we worked through the pandemic. We've had our jobs slashed, um, you know, down 30%. Um, we've gone through all of this and the, the companies are kind of on the ropes. There's a lot of attention being paid to why things aren't getting delivered um, like they need to, you know, by the federal government, by, by businesses, everything like that. And, and sort of the eye is on the industry. And so this is, this is a big chance for us to try and, to try and fight for, you know, not just who's working right now, but also the potential uh, conditions for any future um, railroad workers. You know, you know, I was a community organizer in uh, Iowa in the late seventies. Um, and we used to have a lot of um, train derailments at the crossings because they, you know, they were not maintaining it. 
and it was a real big safety issue. Fortunately, out in Iowa, it was mainly dropping um, corn. But this is a, this is an industry which I believe is still making you know record profits, and also people hear this twenty four percent increase uh, in pay, but that's actually spread over five years, two or three years back, two years forward. You know, at a time when inflation is running you know five to eight right. percent uh, a, a year. So, um, how do you solve some of these problems? Right. Yeah. I mean, and like you said, these 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 are the class one freight railroads that we're talking about in terms of this 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 contract um and yeah you're absolutely right they've they've transformed themselves into the darlings of wall street they're massively profitable companies um and a lot of that's due to uh this big transformation towards this model they called precision scheduled railroading which is it's a lot of fancy words for you know do more with less uh cut as much as you can you know in terms of a number of people employed, maintenance budgets, equip, you know, maintaining and upgrading equipment, all of that stuff, uh, and try to do more with it, try to move more freight with it, move longer trains, heavier trains. Um, and uh, it's worked out really well profit wise, but it hasn't worked out um, certainly for us, for the workers. Um, but also, you know, you mentioned derailments and things like that. There's a big focus right now on on safety because there's so many older you know railroaders who are retiring and and taking their experience with them and more and more the railroad is being staffed by people like me who are who are relatively new and who are thrown in with not very much training um and uh and things keep getting uh mistakes keep happening um and so you know so that's that's going to make everything everything worse, right? Not better. So we have about five minutes left. I want to throw out a couple of points and you take a little bit longer to respond to them. Um, one of the issues is that the public ownership of the railroads, um, public ownership has been a big issue in New York State recently, um, but that's been more in the utilities and DSA has been winning a lot of elections. And I know you're, you're also active in the socialist movement. So how, how does that you know, sort of all fit together. And then just, you know, what do you guys, j just repeat, what are the su suggestions in terms of like working conditions and also labor rights? Yeah, so I'll, I'll touch on that second one first because I think I think that's pretty important. Yeah, so so the key things that railroad workers want, we want, we want time off. Uh, we want more um, personal time off. We want sick time off, which most of us, depending on the craft, most of us don't have any sick time. We want to keep uh, our jobs. You know, the contract includes some language that attacks um, what, what we call extra boards um, in road service, um, which would not only mean less jobs for those of us who, who work off the extra board, um, but also uh, less scheduling protections for the road crews uh, that get staffed off of the extra board when somebody, somebody doesn't work for whatever reason. So we want that out of the contract. You know, there's healthcare premium increases that would by 2025 would be double what we're almost double what we're paying right now. You know, that's unacceptable. Um, and and yeah, the pay increase, like you said, it doesn't keep up with inflation. It doesn't keep up with cost of living, and it comes nothing close to keeping up with the corporate profits um, that they've made off of our backs. So those are the main things that railroaders are fighting for. You know, ultimately it's quality of life. We want this to be a job, not a life. You know, we want this to 
to be something that we we can walk away from at the end of the day and and go home to our families and and friends and things like that and not be living you know 24 7 under the thumb of the companies um just touching on the on the public ownership question yeah so you mentioned i'm i'm a member of railroad workers united which is a um it's not a union but it's a it's an organization made up of members from all the different railroad um unions um fighting for you know solidarity and democracy and rank and file power in our unions um and we recently adopted a a um resolution calling for public ownership of the railroads and you mentioned i'm active in the socialist movement i'm a member of the independent socialist group um in worcester massachusetts and yeah i think quite frankly what's become very very clear is the depth of the crisis of railroads um this is you know in a in a weird twisted way biden's right that uh, uh, a a rail strike would be devastating of course it's the fault of the companies that we've gotten to this point um, and he's thinking in terms of profits. He doesn't actually care about whether goods are delivered or if they get where they need to go. He's ca he cares about profits, but uh, he's right. You know, clean drinking water is purified by chemicals that come, you know, through the railroads. Food is delivered through the railroads. Massive amounts of raw materials and everything like that. Uh, so fertilized. Nick, we, we only got about a, we only so, have about a minute to go. So if you so want I'll, to sum I'll up just, this point, and then what yeah. if people want to express their opinion. You know, what are the things you hope they might say, but also how do they go and express their opinion in a minute? Yeah. So just just really quickly, all that the movement of these essential goods and people is too important to be left in the hands of people who are only concerned about profit. Um, that needs to be uh, decisions regarding that kind of stuff needs to be taken on some sort of basis of need and public interest and not on on profit or uh, investment banking. Um, so just, yeah, lastly, hopefully people will support us. Um, if there are picket lines in your area, um, those workers are going to need your support if it comes to a strike. Um, uh, and and uh, when it comes to what Congress is doing right now, hopefully people can make their opinions known that um, no workers, uh, not even just railroad workers, but no workers should have any kind of contract shoved down their throat by by the government. It's We have a right to decide um, and a right to exercise uh, um, our, our collective power however we choose to. Um, and that shouldn't be taken away from us. We want to thank uh, Nick Wirtz, um, member of Railroad Workers United, for joining us. And this has been um, Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thanks, Mark, for another great interview. We'll follow this story with um, any further de developments. And now we get into the holiday spirit, and this means engaging all of our senses. Ho, ho, ho. The current show at the Hart Cluett House certainly engages these sentences. It's, it's the Greens show, so I reached out to okay. find more. Great, great. I'm speaking with Rensselaer County historian Kathy Sheehan. On December 1st, the opening day of the 66th annual Holiday Green Show. Welcome to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me today. Appreciate the call. So the Hart Cluett House has been transformed for this show. Can you describe the space and tell us about the Green Show? Oh, it's a, it really is a wonderful space. Well, the 50-plus um, members of the Van Rensselaer Garden Club have come into the Hart Cluett Museum, which is our, um, we have three buildings on our site, but this 
one of the buildings that they've transformed is our 1827 federal-style townhouse. And um, there's about 13 rooms that have been all decorated um, in the theme of the Gilded Age. Of course, with HBO having been here filming from seasons one and two, and, and they actually filmed uh, one of the scenes in, in right in front of, right on our stoop <laughs> for of the Harkluid House in season one. Uh, so it was it was a wonderful way to just say, hey, let's let's you know everybody's so excited about this Gilded Age and the, and the show and and that they were here filming. Um, let's do that for the theme of decorating. So they have gone over the top. I mean, it's just amazing. So our uh, you know yeah, I said about twenty seven rooms in the house and about eleven of them are are um, decorated. <laughs> wow. And so. And oh my gosh, yeah, there's, I think we've got, we counted nine trees and there's just yards and yards of roping and beautiful decorations and feathers and baubles and prisms and stained glass. And it's just incredible what they have done. These are just incredibly talented women. (laughs) And how historically accurate are these uh, decorations and what can we learn through that? Well, the, the the decorations themselves are not really historically accurate. Certainly not to the people who lived in the house, the Hearts and the Cluets. Um, they would the Cluets probably had a little more decorating, but nothing over the not nothing as much over the top as this is this is done. But uh, which is okay. That's all right, you know, because part of it is to show their talents as as gardeners and yeah. and, and and floral you know, decorators in, in that regard. Um, even though this is an all-volunteer group and they're all amateur gardeners and, and arrangements, it's incredible what they've come up with. Uh, so, you know, at the, and, you know, in the, you know, depending on, you know, who you were the, during the Gilded Age, people would have lots more palms and, and you know, they might have decorated more for, for the holidays. Um, that was really just starting to come into vogue during the, during the Gilded Age. So, um, this is just taking it to a whole other level. <laughs> just coming into vogue at that time, and I feel like at the right time, now yeah, it's like at the like... pinnacle, right? Now it's like yeah, everybody right. wants to do all greenery. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of the wonderful thing about um, the the green show here is that it is all fresh greens. It's not artificial. Right. Uh, which is So the smell alone is just in, intoxicating when you walk in. And where's where are the greens coming from? Um, they get them from local vendors. Uh, they're local vendors who make things like the roping, which is, you know, all the, you know, white pine and balsam and things like that. And then uh, a lot of the ladies, they've gone out into their backyards and fields and they get cut hydrangeas and then they've sprayed them gold and they get feathers and, you know, um, all sorts of wonderful flora and fauna that they uh, then put into these beautiful arrangements. So um, like they, they go foraging <laughs> for a lot of these things, winter berries and, you know, things like that. <laughs> Great. And there's a weekend full of events. Let's talk about how listeners can come experience this uh, smells and sights of the Green Show. <laughs> well, this evening, because uh, this is Thursday night, uh, this is Thursday, December 1st, so um, Thursday evening from 5 to 8, uh, we are open free. Uh, we, can start, we call it our community night, and uh, I will be reading stories under the Christmas tree. Um, Santa Claus will be here in the parlor, too, with me. Um, he'll, I probably can convince him to read a couple of stories for us, but he'll be there to greet the children and, and adults alike who want to say hello to Santa. Uh, we have a scavenger hunt uh, that you know, people can find little hidden things around uh, that are that they see in the decorations, and then uh, that is 
tonight, and again, five to eight is it is no admission. Um, we certainly, we, um, except want to have donations, people to donate, but it's not an admission. The rest of the weekend, uh, it is open from 12 to 5. And Sunday, of course, is a Victoria Victorian stroll. So, so what is the Victorian stroll? Yes, I've never attended. The Victorian attended. stroll is this Sunday. Oh, my gosh, that is thousands of people come descend on downtown Troy for the Victorian stroll. <laughs> Do people dress up? Is it oh, a way yeah, there's to a lot get of periods showcase coming. local? Yeah, they do. They dress up, and um, you know, but but other people are just you know they they want to see the shop and and go to the different shops and the vendors that are out there, and they come down here to see the show. Um, the the Victorian Stroll. This is their fortieth year or forty fourth. I think fortieth year. Um, they actually started the Victorian Stroll because so many people were here in Troy. Uh, coming to see our green show. Again, this is our 66. So that's how the Victorian Stroll started. Oh, wow. The So the Gilded Age, how has that changed people's interest in the history of Troy? Well, that's we've. It's really exciting. You know, you never know what will pique people's interest. But I think just because it was a it was a fun storyline and the fact that they were here filming for so long, uh, people came down to watch it. So they start to get intrigued by hearing about the stories about the, you know, the very wealthy. And and then on the other you know, on the other side of that coin is you know the 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 people who weren't you know and the start of unions and all that kind of uh, things going on at the same time during the Gilded Age. And this piqued people's curiosity into what was going on here in Troy and Rensselaer County. Uh, so I'm thrilled, you know, and if this is this is the hook that gets everybody in the door, we get to talk about this history, uh, the good and the bad of it all. Um, I'm thrilled. <laughs> As a historian, you know, I love to tell these stories about how the union started and, and um, you know, how some of these other philanthropic organizations, you know, think of, if you want, if you watch the Gilded Age, but, uh, you know, they talk about things like Clara Barton and Red Cross. Well, here, you know, it's starting to build Samaritan Hospital and the, the, the um, Troy Orphan Asylum and, and some of those other um, social issues, um, suffrage, women's suffrage that was going on and the temperance movement and, um, you know, things like that. So, you know, all that was going on during the Gilded Age. And of course, the Industrial Revolution was fully, you know, we were, we were a huge industrial city at that point during the Gilded Age, too, here in Troy. So um, there's a lot to talk about. And if the little hook is this kind of fancy stuff to get people to do it or think about what was going on in our history, I'm all for it. <laughs> and what interesting how this show has awakened people to the origins of, of the labor movement when right now there's definitely a re- resurgence of the popularity of labor groups organizing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Think of, you know, I know Starbucks is getting a lot of getting a lot of attention and Amazon and things like that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like, you know, here we're, we're coming, coming and, and, you know, there's a big disparity in incomes like there was during the Gilded Age too. So it's, it is, it's kind of history repeating itself, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And has this also helped to support the preservation of historic, historical buildings in the area? Yes. Um, yeah, we, you know, that has been, I think that has really been um, very kind of a slow and steady uphill. Uh, people have been interested, certainly in downtown Troy in the historic district, um, where they've looked at, you know, let's, let's, let's maintain these wonderful buildings. And, you know, you can change things on the inside, but let's at least try and keep the facades um, the same, which is why we do have a historic district here um, that, that uh, you, you, you know, you, you can't, put aluminum siding on the front of your 1830 brick house, <laughs> things like that. So, um, you know, to, to try and, and, and really save these real treasures, these architectural treasures. Mm. Well, Kathy- I mean, it's one of the reasons why that um, 
you know, HBO was so interested in coming here because we had blocks and blocks and blocks of, of you know, rows of, of, you know, the period buildings from, you know, 1820 to, you know, 1900. And, you know, it, for six, seven blocks in a row, they could just shoot the camera down there and you're not going to have a modern building in the middle of it. So very unique that we're living. Yeah, very unique. In- yeah. Yeah. Kathy Sheehan, thank you so much for coming on Dots and Mohawk magazine to tell us about the Greens show. It sounds like a real kind of all experience with, with the, all the senses. Thank you. And they can get more information. Just go to our website, hartcluet.org. So it's H-A-R-T-C-L-U-E-T-T dot O-R-G. And ticket, you can buy tickets online and find other information about our other programs. We are, you know, we're not just here for this. We're open year-round, and um, we have a research library and and changing the exhibition galleries, and we do school programs. We do programs for children of all ages, from pre-K to senior citizens. So check that all out on our webpage. Yes, and thank you for coming. We know your voice well on this program, so thank you for always being available, telling us a little bit more about the history of Troy. You're so welcome, and thank you. I really appreciate it. Okay, Uh, at the end, we have more events coming in the near future. All right, all right. This weekend. Oh, this weekend, as a matter of fact. Yeah, it's a full program show about what's taking place in Troy. Great, great, great. Looking forward to it. So now... um, So for those of you just tuning in, I'm Sina Bazila Hickey. And I'm your host, H. Bosch Jr. Okay, and we're going to move right along to our... Can we do the station ID? Yep, go ahead, go ahead. All right. Yep, go ahead. You can do it. Okay, and you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, and WOOALP 106.9 FM Albany, and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. Coming to you from the Sanctuary for Independent Media. All right, now we're moving to our next segment, which I'm so excited about. Uh, This will probably be part one of a two-part segment. And in the spirit of bringing um, guests from different parts of the country as well as the world, today's special guest on the Triple E segment, Education, Empowerment, Entrepreneurship, is Tatum Hughes from Ann Arbor, Michigan, Born and raised, a proud mom of three, a veteran of the United States uh, Army, where she was trained as an LPN with a stellar record. 23 years, no complaints, no suspensions, and absolutely outstanding service. How you doing, Tatum? I'm fine. Thank you, H. Bosch Jr. and Cena for having me on the show. I'm so excited. Well, we are so, so welcome. Um, how was your Thanksgiving real quick? It was great. It went as planned. I got out early with the kids and I got home early also. So it was wonderful. Great, great, great. So I'm going to dig right in. Um, what? In, why did you become a nurse? Okay, um, to be honest, it's a little funny story. Um, I spent a lot of time in my grandmother's house when I was a kid, and I had an uncle that was serving in the military, and there was a sign on the back of the door that said, Army, be all you can be. And I'm like six, seven years old seeing this over and over again for years. And when I got to high school, I was approached by a recruiter and he said some things I liked and I was like sure I'll join 
So I was 18 when I said yes, and I went on in right after high school. Wow, we that is that. What a great story! What a great story. So, do you think it's the right job um, for? Uh, would you think that's the right job for most people or what, you know, what do you have to do to really have that interest? I think um, nursing is a, a great profession, but you must be a person that has compassion. It's a compassionate field. You have to listen to your patients. You have to kind of be proactive and you're, you really got to be a person that can advocate on behalf of a, another person and really be a great listener. It's all about listening. Oh, okay. Great. That's how you mm -hmm. excuse to something might be going on. So what are the benefits of nursing? You know, tell me some of the benefits uh, being a nurse other than, you know, what the, just the basic stuff that people see. Okay. Well, the benefits is you have a career. Um, you can take your license from state to state. You don't have to retest once you take the nursing test and you pass. Say you want to go from Michigan to California, you just apply in that state to their board of nursing, and then you go through that application process, and then it doesn't take very long, and then you're approved. You're, like, moving around the world. Um, you can be a travel nurse. I really think the benefits are the flexibility of what type of job you want to have and what do you want to do for that eight or 12 hours a day. That that makes a difference in your attitude when you're at work. Okay. Uh, what are some of, which I know there are many, being that we had this little thing called the pandemic, uh, what are some of the daily challenges nurses face on a daily basis? Well, nursing is a mental and physical job, so you kind of have to be prepared um, the best thing you can do is go to work with no plan. Um, when you go to work with a plan, with a plan, and it doesn't go your way, that kind of elevates your stress level. Mm -hmm. So you actually go in there every day, like a, like it's brand new. The challenges are sometimes if you're on a new job and you don't know their policies and their procedures, or you may never work with that equipment. Those are some challenges that are you know, in the workplace, other challenges are just trying to do your job in a new place mm -hmm. or or around a place that you're just not that happy at. So those um, are the real nursing challenges. Okay, so Tatum, tell me this, because I got a couple of more questions, but I want to get this one in real quick. Tell me the average, uh, or what is the average day like for a nurse? You know, what do you usually start doing? What do you usually do during the day and how do you end it out okay so for me to have a successful day you know first get to work on time you get to work on time <laughs> okay <laughs> you do your, you. You, if you get to work late you know you don't you don't even feel right sometimes but get to work on time i sit down with the nurse who work night shift we got a 12-hour day nurse and a 12-hour night i'm the 12-hour day nurse we sit down, we do a shift report. She tells me how their night went or anything that may have transpired on the patient during that night, even like if the family spent the night, just different things like that. And then in the morning, I uh, after we've done report, I look in the computer, I look at the treatment section. We do electronic medical records and they're color coded. They're red dots, yellow dots, and blue dots. You never want to see red dots. That means you're behind 
or there's a new order that you should probably take a look at because it could be something that has to be done immediately. Uh-huh. So I look for red dot. That lets me know the night first before me didn't do some things. But it's typically yellow. And then I plan my day. I know how many blood sugars I got. I know who's on oxygen. I kind of know where I got to be. You know, I know who has wounds. That stuff is important because those are the things I have to make time for in my day. Those blood sugars, the wounds. The medication part is easy. You know, we're in a, we're like a rehab facility. So all our patients are not on 16 medications at one time. They're like eight medications, just, you know, something simple. So it's the, the treatments, the diabetics and the wounds that I really focus on where they are getting a good look at them and make sure they're healing right. Okay. So now um, tell me, and before I go any further, um, I got to say thank you to, uh, my fam, uh, Mr. Tony Riddle, for making this connection with you. Um, God bless him. Uh, and we both, I know, wish him a speedy and healthy recovery. Um, my next question, what are the... Mis- I do. Hmm? Go ahead. Um, so I'll say my next question will be uh, the misconceptions about nursing. Most misconceptions about nursing is um, people think they have to draw blood. I hear a lot of people say, oh, I can't be a nurse. I don't like blood or I don't like stool. I don't like this. Drawing blood is like a back pocket technique or skill that we have. The lab draws Ooh, explain blood. that back so we pocket don't, technique. It, wow. <laughs> a back pocket <laughs> skill is a, something that you have, but you don't practice it on a regular, like the ability to draw blood, the ability to put a nasal gastric tube down someone's nose, the ability to insert a catheter. Those are things we know how to do, but you don't do them every day. So I call them back pocket skills. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's that's pretty cool. Uh, just keep all those back pocket techniques from me. They look pretty, yeah, daunting. Um, so real quick, let me close out then. Um, uh, tell me about the numerous job opportunities in nursing. Okay. So there's travel nursing when like all your expenses are paid. You do have to take what shift the company has available and you get to go what state you may want to go to, but sometimes they tell you where it is. You can go somewhere for 13 weeks and come home with $20,000. So there's also desk jobs. You can be an MDS nurse where you're just, you know, looking at files, making sure diagnoses are in there, working with the insurance companies. You can also be a care manager. That's a no hands-on job, and you don't even have to set their medications up. You go and you follow these people with a major insurance company. You make sure that the person follows their discharge instructions because the goal of healthcare is when you're discharged from any facility, hospital, nursing home, we don't want to see you back in hospital in 30 days. That Mm -hmm. means some type of care might have got overlooked. So the goal is to get you home safe and stay there for as long as you can. Great. You know, we want you to be healthy at home. Well, that that's, sounds that's good. We, um, we try to make sure. You try to make sure. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. That you that you don't have any return visits to the hospital for anything acute. We okay. want you to stay home and healthy. 
great. I'm going to have to wrap this up, but um, Tatum, we're going to have you back for part two because uh, there's some other things that I want to ask and some other things that I want to bring awareness and exposure to. But thank you so much for uh, you know, coming on as a guest uh, all the way from the great state of Michigan, Ann Arbor, at that. And we look forward to having you back real, real soon. Absolutely. Looking forward to these topics here. Very important stuff. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Good night, guys. Good night. God bless you. And tell your family to tune in. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So now we head to the uh, inaugural installation of Troy Glow begins on Sunday, December 4th. Oops. There we go. Uh, It is a temporary public art light festival in downtown Troy that will run nightly for five weeks. It includes six outdoor installations of light-based art created by regional artists all displayed around downtown Troy. Moses Nagel caught up with a few of the artists as they installed their work. My name is Yael Erel, and together with my partner, Avner Ben-Natan, um, and Light Texture, we're going to have a few pieces throughout Troy Glow. Uh, so we were finalists, and we, our piece was, that was uh, commissioned is called Reflecting on Troy, and it's down at um, the corner of Franklin and State, and it's on Franklin Alley. So we have uh, two rotating reflective discs that will have a direct and strong light source shining on them, and they will reflect images onto the back wall of the Troy, Troy Music Hall. We're going to have a few installations in Troy Glow. One is in our, our practice light texture, and uh, we have the elements here in the final um, in, in this exhibition, and they're all about um, trying to draw with light. So we're creating um, augmented reflectors that have patterns, be they with dots or lines that are embossed onto a reflective, reflective elements. And as they rotate, there is a three-dimensional object emerging and transforming. Um, most of our recent work we're doing with the robotic lab lab at RPI, School of Architecture Fabrication okay. Shop. I know, maybe that was too long. No, that's great. Is this is this one of the ones yeah, you're talking so about? These wow. are, these yeah. are some of the earlier pieces. I could show you some of the uh, earlier yeah. ones. So it looks like smoke or, or some kind of cell structures or something. Exactly. Yeah, it's very cool. It happens on an almost microscopic level. So these are some of the ones projected with the robot. So we're, we're using a robotic arm to project um, lines and dots at different heights. And that tra- kind of um, transforms the surface of a reflector. So this is all about um, how a minute topographical changes of the surface of a reflector could create patterns and drawings uh-huh. with light. And the piece we have here in Troy has different information from Troy. So we took the burden wheel and we used that. And, and what does that say about our world? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I don't you know. Are. It's all an illusion. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I think I think it, it's also really complex. Tiny changes effects. could have big effects, and I also believe that if you look carefully, you can find magic in anything. I'm Avi Nagel, and uh, I'm one of the collaborators with Julian Goldman on the Troy Glow art installation. What's, is there a name? Does your piece have a name? Yeah, we, we have the wind wheels piece at the riverfront stairs, access stairs. When the call went out, it was, they asked for, to tie to history and celebrate Troy and look to the future. So we also drew, we drew from the Burden Iron Works wheel as well, and we're drawn to the site specifically because there's this interconnection between the Hudson and downtown Troy right here at the Riverfront Access Stairs. And we imagined a, a giant water wheel that's moving on wind instead of water um, and, in, and suspended in the air and illuminated. And that was kind of our launching point for designing the Wind Wheels project, which is 10 different wheels, uh, all with their own character, and um, they will uh, spin in the wind, um, and the rate at which they're spinning will affect the temperature and feel of the light that they're emitting. So um, as we started to build these, they, they started off as a very technological, kind of complex engineering feat, um, but with a team of help and family, they started to grow into the, their own kind of organic beings and then with a, a village of, uh, of help and support, they've been raised to be ready to be released into the, the great world of this and so, space. Right, and so depending on how windy it is on the, on the day of, that you come see them is going to change the way that they yeah, they they're, they're really living, breathing entities that will uh, react to their environment and to the, the ambient environment, wind and, um, and, and temperature and time. And Can you go back and explain the wheel that you started, that you were inspired by at first? Yeah, the, so the Burden Iron Works wheel, when it was built, was the largest um, power-generating wheel in the world, it, there's some conflicting reports, but um, it was definitely the um, pride and joy of Troy and a symbol of the, the massive industry that was uh, moving through Troy and, and really using the Wineskill River as its, as its force, as a power source to generate uh, industry. All right, let's walk out to the spot where we're uh, installing this. I see you got these clips on the... I mean, yeah. He's supposed to have this lift that reaches over, uh, but the, we couldn't get this ball oh, to right. sink down, so he's doing it all on... My name is Matt Crane, and I am the Troy Glow, uh, I guess, installer. I'm facilitator of installations. Technical advisor. Technical advisor. Is there anything particular just about overall about the challenges of a project like this, installation-wise? I mean, it's really just the chilly weather of Troy. <laughs> it's always, I mean, the problem with gl Troy Glow is it's always, like, right after Thanksgiving, so it's always freezing. Wait, I thought this was the first one, no? Well, last year we did a temporary one, and I was, I a, I was all the way up there <laughs> on a lift on both sides, freezing, and it was super windy. It was just like... The light idea was to have 
when it's still to be a very warm, almost candlelight feel, you know, or incandescent feel. And as they speed up, they go whiter and bluer and more Tron-esque, cool. you know, just like more technological because it's kind of this technology uh, and, and the natural environment's conversation. And there's this kind of history to, and pulling Troy into the future feel. So we wanted to go from kind of a, an old light to a new light and a warm feel to the cold of speed. Yeah. So oh, so if the wind slowly changes speed, you'll see like this kind These of gradient change. These things will move change. slowly through a spectrum of color. Full spectrum? No, just just from a, a warm white to a cool. Like, it'll react. But if the wind's like this, it'll reach. Be, it'll reach a top blue, speed. Right? It'll reach a top speed, and then it'll kind of hit its blue and and stay. It'll let you know. And and there's a good chance that some will be moving and some will be still. So you'll actually see all of it going on. In, Just in because of the way world. they're catching the wind. Yeah, they're yeah. all different. They're all their own creatures, and they and they're in different places, and different things are happening. One question was, does the wind react differently as it comes up that stairs? Is it going to be moving faster along the low side or faster along the high side? Uh, yeah. and that, and how does the stairwell funnel? The wheels want to move in a... They'll move both ways, but they want... They have a tendency to move in one direction. Clockwise or counterclockwise? Well, each one's its own creature. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, neat. Yeah. Each one's its own creature. It's actually more about uh, how it's reacting to its own sensor, its own brain. Between you and, and Julian, how do you guys break up your roles or your tasks. No, I'd say that Julian is the person that makes all things possible. Um, he takes the dream and understands how to turn that into a reality and on every every step along the way and particularly along the technical side of things, he's been able to envision and facilitate and, and manage the the actual creation of this wild dream. Anything this you want to get in there? Crazy fabrication job. I love how we did this like precision engineered thing and 3D printed everything and made this kit of parts and then just had our family slap it all together. So there's this kind of combination of like handmade and machine made that I think is kind of charming. Um, I need to count how many components, but I think, you know, it's it's 12, 24, 26, 7, 8, 9, it's like 29 3D printed components per object times 10, and, you know, a lot of extra. So almost 300. Yeah. All right. As long as that's here. Yeah. The installations of Troy Glow will be up and viewable for five weeks beginning Sunday, December 4th. Reporting for Hudson Mohawk Magazine, this is Moses Nagel. Okay, uh, this Saturday, Oakwood Community Center will be in the holiday spirit with Hillside North Holiday Showcase, Rachel S. Lormer, Artist Creative Arts Program at Trip and Justin Welf of Oakwood Community Center. Both organizers of this event Join us now, right here, live in studio. Welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, guys. Yes, thank Hi, you for thank, having us. Thank you. We're yeah. excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let me ask real quick, and then I'll give it over to Cena. Is this your first time here in studio? 
This is. It is, yeah. Okay. First time here in, okay. this, in the studio. Okay. First time doing a live radio interview? No, not the no. first time doing a live radio interview. Well, okay. Well, it might be your last when we're done. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta and do well. And I gotta and do yep, well. Yep. Bring your A game here. <laughs> sit up, sit when up. you come to my studio. So um, I'm gonna hand it over to Cena and let her kick off the interview. Well, let's just start with an overview of this event on Saturday. What can you tell us? Okay. Well, the holiday showcase is intended to be a community celebration of the talent and. Um, creative energy in Hillside North. We have an amazing lineup of performers. We have activities for kids. Um, and it's gonna be a great day. Yeah. You wanna add to that? Um, we're also gonna have a um, art display of um, work from School 2 students. Um, so they're gonna be hanging up and they're also gonna be um, there for uh, quite a bit of time and we're gonna have kind of an opening uh, later on in December so that the parents in the community can come in and view the artwork that the students um, have from the community. Okay, mm -hmm. um, pardon me because I always like to get a little background on I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, Justin, tell me you know a little bit about yourself, where you're from, okay, okay real quick. Yeah, so I'm Justin. <laughs> I was uh, not born here but I was pretty much raised in the uh, Hillside North neighborhood. I live right there on 9th Street and then I lived on Middleburg. Um, and so my background is performance. Um, I've done a lot of musical theater okay. um, in the community um, and singing and dancing. So okay. that's pretty much what I'm known for, what I do. Great. So. And um, my name is Rachel, and I'm a visual artist and predominantly a printmaker. And I've been in the Troy area for about five years now, I'm originally from Vermont. And this is this is a really amazing opportunity for us to collaborate, which is something I'm really excited about, the visual Great. and the performing arts collaboration. Great. So. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, there's like the creative collaboration, but there's also the mm -hmm. organizational collaboration. Rachel, you from TRIP, and Justin, you from Oakwood Community Center. So can you tell us about what is this partnership? Sure. So in earlier of this year, 2022, we applied together um, as two organizations and two creatives to the Creatives Rebuild New York program, which is a two-year um, grant pro funded predominantly by the Tides Foundation um, to help reinvigorate communities post-COVID with the arts and both supporting artists in their own right and their own creative work, but also putting them to work for their communities and within their communities and with community. So it's really a comprehensive approach to jump-starting uh, that space of being together again um, through the arts. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I, I feel like um, invigorating the community through the arts is really what my relationship with Oakwood Community Center has been, yeah. coming with the youth programming. And how is this event, but maybe also your general programming, Justin, mm -hmm a really important part of community unity and, and just celebration. Yeah, well, um, 
I think that's you know what Oakwood in particular um, is is all about bringing communities together. We uh, Oakwood provides space for different organizations. We have different music groups that use the space. Um, so we we literally are bringing um, groups together, um, breaking bread, building bridges. That's a part mm-hmm. of you know what we say about Oakwood, and so. Um, we just want to bring the community together, celebrate the creative energy that's happening um, in the Hillside North neighborhood, and also um, uplift the creative um, the creative talent that is there. So we're going to have performers. We're also going to have a student artwork, and then uh, we're going to throw some kids in there to perform from the program. Um, so we're trying to get them to participate and be a part of uh, what's going on because they're really talented and they have great energy and, and they have something to share. So we're mm-hmm. excited about those opportunities yeah. for them. So. Um, I always like to ask people who do this type of work, which is uh, noble and um, so um, uplifting, what made you decide to uh, get involved and be a community servant? You know, yeah. mm-hmm. um, Justin, and then I'll go to you, Rachel. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, me in particular, um, coming up in the Troy community, um, I saw that there was a lack of performing arts um, opportunities for um, students that came from my neighborhood. And um, if we wanted to participate in uh, performing arts opportunities, we had to go out to, you know, Albany or Latham and, you know, or Schenectady. And, you know, I come from a a low-income family. And so Mm -hmm. my mother wasn't able to afford to, you know, just get us there. She had six children. And Mm -hmm. so just... All the barriers um, mm-hmm. there. Luckily, I was able to link and partner with f- uh, friends and family um, to get me to where I need to go. But uh, my drive and passion behind this is bringing quality performing arts uh, education and experiences to the Hillside North neighborhood. So that is my drive behind um, what, what I do. So. How about you, Rachel? Well, I come from a family of artists, and I have always been taught and encouraged to creatively express myself and use that as a, you know, a coping mechanism for for everything that happens and and what life throws your way, you know. And I see so many individuals, whether they're kids or adults, really not having many opportunities for that these days, Um, and perhaps not having opportunity to integrate that in a daily, you know, daily basis. And there's so much um, rejuvenation and retrospection and inward, you know, work that we can do through the creative arts, but it gets magnified when you do it together. And that is really, to me, it's all about taking what's in your heart and what's in your, your essence and bringing it out to, to really bubble up with everybody else. So that it's emotional to me. It's it's something that I feel really strongly about, and um, it's always carried me through my own personal creative work, and I love pulling that out of others. I, I, I yeah. see it, and I, I definitely feel the energy. <laughs> um, yeah, the, just the synergy, how you guys are just making this thing happen. And we only just met in June. <laughs> <laughs> well, we only have about two minutes, so I don't want to take too long with this question, but how would you advocate for the importance of the arts 
uh, if for community development, for, for intellectual in development, I would say that it's usually undervalued compared to maybe the sciences and the maths. So how would you advocate for it? I think it's essential. Um, in terms of advocating for it, I think it's about providing opportunities for every individual to experience it. It's, um, it's difficult to, uh, you know, advocate when people perhaps haven't had as many touch points with different creative avenues. A lot of people have access to music. It's something very common and we all can you know, touch that pretty easily, but the visual arts and the performing arts and you go a little deeper, um, just creating spaces and op offering opportunities for people to really dive in a little bit more, um, then they have a connection to it. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, it's, um, I look at it as just um, providing opportunities for expression. You know, I and I often say a lot of what we experience in our communities, uh, both good and bad, are expressions, whether it's mm -hmm. good, whether it's bad. So it's providing healthy outlets for people right. to express um, themselves. So that's what it that's how I advocate for that. We need healthy ways to for people, healthy outlets for people to express themselves. So. Right. Well, we are just about out of time, but there's so much that we didn't go over about the event coming up this Saturday. So. Let's make sure that we get in where people can go. Who else is a part of this? Okay. Yeah, so um, people can go to the Ogle Community Center uh, Facebook page. They can also visit the TRIP Facebook, uh, page. Facebook mm -hmm. page. There's information on that. Um, uh, school 2 has blasted it out uh, to mm -hmm. their parents. Uh, but be there, Ogle Community Center, 2 p.m. to 5 p.m., uh, 313 10th Street. Um, and we'll be there just in celebration. There's lots of things for uh, children to do, a great time for the adults as well. Um, Kevin Pryor will be there as our MC. Go, uh, Kevin. Yes, <laughs> Kevin Pryor will be there. Everybody knows Kevin. Ooh. We'll have great performers, um, not only from the Hillside North neighborhood, but also from the Capital Region That's as right. well. Now, if you wanted to volunteer, is there a number I can call? Somebody to uh, show up, volunteer, help out? There's not a number. There's not a number. Yeah, okay. There's not a number. Right, um, how can we do that? Maybe show contact up. us. Come, yeah, yeah come show, up. Show, show up. Show up a little early. Yeah, show <laughs> you know? up a little early. Yeah, we'll be there at noon. Okay, yeah. great. <laughs> great. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much, Justin and Rachel, for coming in. Very, very excited to learn more. And... I'm surprised it's your first visit, but it won't be your last, right? Oh, okay. Absolutely. I think they did pretty, did I pass? They did pretty did I pass? well. Yes, you did. You passed oh, with flying awesome. colors. <laughs> you now are friends of the show. Okay. Oh, thank you, thank yes. you for thank having you us. Much. All right. You're thank so welcome. You so Continue to let your light shine and happy holidays to both of you. Thank you. Thank you and your family. You as well. All right. So, and that is our show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Sina Bazila Hickey. And I'm your host, H. Bosch Jr. Our engineer extraordinaire is Sina Hickey Basile. Now, I want to end by saying we want to thank all of the volunteers who made this episode possible. Contributors to today's episode include names, including authors, headlines, Yeah, we and have other... Moses Nagel and right. Mark Dunley. And, uh... we, we didn't have Mr. Terry today, but anyway, you know, we have, like you said, Moses, 
Yeah, we got a bunch of them. So tune in weekdays at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. to hear local news or stream Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. Full episodes and individual stories are available on demand at our website and on your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you listening. Until next time.